Good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Pastor Cody is out of town at a family wedding, and so I'm I'm kind of excited because that means I get the honor and privilege of uh, starting out a new series with you. Um, If you would, uh, I want you to kind of take a moment and pause the video right now and go and read what what was our scripture reading this morning. It was Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Okay, did you do that? Good. All right. So now, let's get your Bible. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We have a new series today, a new book to study. And then also, we're going to be reading from a different translation starting today. It's the New King James Version, the NKJV. Um, I've got mine right here, and this is what the Word of God says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all we're reading for today. All right, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. It is good. It is good to read your word together. So now, Lord, as I preach your word, would you open our minds and the eyes of our hearts that we would behold wonderful things from your word, or that you would hide things, hide your word in us, that we would not sin against you. Father, that our, our hope would be in none other than Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us now as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you may know, the book of 1 Thessalonians is actually an epistle. It's a letter. It's one of several epistles in the New Testament, in fact. And this one follows a fairly ordinary uh, pattern, and it's our fairly ordinary formula for its introduction. Paul, the author, um, he starts by stating his name, then goes to his audience. He says, the church at Thessalon- of, the, uh, <laughs> of the Thessalonians. Try to say that five times fast. And then he follows by a greeting, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church family, it's been said that reading an epistle is like hearing one side of a phone conversation. We're getting Paul's responses, but not necessarily the Thessalonians' answers. Uh, or sorry, the, for the Thessalonians' questions. We're getting Paul's responses, but not necessarily the Thessalonians' questions. So the more that we can learn about the author, um, his background, what brought him to this place, what his relationship is with the audience, then about the audience, what their culture is, what their history is in that town, and uh, how they came to know the author. The more we can know about these things, the more we can understand what the letter is really saying and what it means by what it's saying and then how we can obey what God is teaching us through it. So today as we start this new series, uh, we're not going to get any further than that first word, Paul. Now, I don't want to assume, even in the Bible Belt, that we, would, that we all come to this video uh, having the same understanding, the same knowledge about, about this guy named Paul, uh, who, who he is, what his theology is, um, what he taught, and how he taught it. Uh, obviously, um, some, of, some of these books, there have been so many books, you know, that have been written about the Apostle Paul. Um, some of them were useful. Some of them were next to garbage. Um, 
and I've read several books on the Apostle Paul. I got to teach a class for several semesters when I was living in Korea. So um, I've read several of them. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. So we want to be careful about what we take in about the, about the Bible and about uh, the people in it. Um, and obviously, of course, one sermon this morning isn't going to be enough to tell us everything that we need to know or even want to know about this man named Paul. But our goal today, our goal is to consider the author of this letter together and how in the world that he went from being a proud persecutor to a conquered convert and then being ultimately a messenger of the Messiah. All right, and that's our main idea for today. How did Paul go from being a proud persecutor to a conquered convert and a messenger of the Messiah? Now, we're, I, I just mentioned our main idea. I've got notes for you today, and you've actually, if you're, if you're on the website, if you're on fbcgregables.com, you can see somewhere there around the video, there's a link that says notes. I'm going to try to put that in the description if you're watching on YouTube, but if not, you can always go to First Baptist Church or fbcgregables.com and find those notes, and maybe it'll give you a little bit of a handrail for us as we go through this, this time together. So first of all, let's consider how Paul started out as a proud persecutor, a proud persecutor. Let's set the stage. When we first meet Paul in, this, in the pages of Scripture, he, is, he has a different name. He has the name Saul. So at the time, he was a zealous Jew, and he was persecuting a small but growing sect of Judaism that was making some outrageous claims about this man named Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, they were saying things like that, that God's promises about salvation in the Old Testament had actually come to his people, uh, th that the Holy Spirit had actually been poured out on God's people, and that the kingdom of God had actually come and God's reign had been established apart from the nation of Israel which is kind of contrary to what everybody was kind of expecting. And the interesting thing is that all of this is being said and the Roman Empire is still occupying the land of Judea, the, what the land of Israel was called at this time. So we're, we're also seeing things, we're also hearing things like this Jesus of Nazareth was actually the Messiah, right? That he had been promised in the Old Testament. He was the, that he was the promised son uh, that was uh, going to rescue God's people from all their enemies. But most outrageous of all, friends, most outrageous to the Jewish community at this time would have been that um, the claim that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, had actually been cru crucified on a Roman cross. That would have been ludicrous to someone that was a Jew, being put to death by, by the Gentiles, people who were not Jews, essentially, um, which would have been a symbol of utter defeat, destruction, even shame, right? Um, and also that he had been raised from the dead and that he was reigning now from heaven. Peter, for instance, was preaching this on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's in Acts 2, verse 36. How would you feel if you were in Saul's shoes? Being a good Pharisee, a faithful God-fearing Jew, you could hardly sit by and, and let these things go or to let your brothers and sisters be deceived by them. If the Messiah had come, wouldn't all of Israel know? If Israel would be preparing for battle against the Roman Empire, falling in behind their, their, their king, the, this son of David that's coming along. A man certainly that wouldn't have gotten himself killed let alone be handed over by Israel 
to the Gentiles, to the Roman soldiers to be put to death, right? Plus, you would have, heard the, you would have also been, heard the reports that this Jesus was actually a blasphemer, right? Saying terrible things, claiming not only to be the Messiah himself, but to be equal with God himself. And as for the resurrection, well, wasn't it widely told that the disciples actually came and stole the body? So, and all these things, how do you think you would feel about these followers of the way? You probably would have felt like they were desperate fools. A danger to the people of Israel that could not be tolerated. And that's why when we meet Saul in Acts 7, he's an accessory to the murder of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons of the church and actually became the first martyr of the church, being, being put to death by a mob while he's preaching the gospel, while he's proclaiming Jesus. Saul was part of the crowd that dragged him out of the city and, and he allowed the others to lay their garments at his feet while they threw stones to kill this man. Acts 7 verse 58 says this, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The picture we get from Acts is that once, the, once there was blood in the water, that Saul was like a shark. Um, Acts 8 verse 1 says this, Now Saul was consenting to his death, his being Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Uh, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And uh, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul was going after these followers of Jesus Christ with a vengeance. He was leading a full-blown persecution against the church. And Saul was at the center of the storm. If you understand the context in which Peter and the other apostles are making these claims about Jesus, then we, now we can kind of understand Saul's desire to purify and to protect God's people. The gall of such a man like this Jesus of Nazareth. A man from Nazareth of all places. Remember the, the old saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? The fact that he claimed to be a Messiah, yet he was crucified on a Roman cross. This would have been ludicrous, absolutely ridiculous to a man like Saul. So Saul loathed him and all of his followers. Acts 9, 1 says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, right, the way, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, followers of Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And not just in Jerusalem, he, he started there, but he, he seeks letters to go to foreign cities that they might, he might capture those people who are proclaiming Christ. Verse three again in Acts nine says this. Um, actually, no, Acts 22, starting with verse three says this. Um, Saul would later testify this to the, Jeru the Jews in Jerusalem saying this. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you are all this day. I persecuted this way even to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. 
Uh, and as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders. He reminds them, you know, I, you know how zealous I was for Judaism. I was at the head of the spear when persecution broke out. I was leading the charge. I hated them. I loathed them. Verse 5 continues with this. From whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were uh, to Jerusalem to be punished. His hatred for them was so great that he makes it his all-consuming purpose to hunt them down, every last one, and to bring them in chains back to Jerusalem that they can be punished. Now hear me. Hear me here. Even in doing this, Saul would not have been considered a bad guy in his culture. We need to understand that. After all, this is not Barabbas. This isn't the guy that's leading insurrection. He's not a murderer. This is probably more along the lines of a really zealous pastor, a passionate theology professor, a leader in the community of Israel. This was a clean-cut, upstanding guy that you probably wanted your daughter to marry. And he was advancing in Judaism far beyond those his own age. Acts 26 verse 9 says this, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." Saul was a proud persecutor. This was his testimony in front of King Agrippa, even when he was imprisoned. Saul was faithfully living out exactly what he understood to be the most God-honoring course for his life. We must understand that. Saul wasn't some crazy zealot. He was a mainline Pharisee brought up in, with all the good pedigree and credentials of an upstanding citizen of the nation of Israel. He said this in Acts 29, verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They, they knew me from the first, they were will, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I was a Pharisee. Or I lived as a Pharisee. So he was fully convinced that he was serving the Lord. Saul was zealous for the Lord and for his law. So he would fight for the holiness, for the for the direction of God's people. I'm not trying to justify Saul's actions here. Please hear me. Uh, what he did was wrong. But, he, but we, when we understand the context, that we, can, we can understand why he was doing these things. Yet at the same time, seeing that those things were wrong. Um, he thought he was putting down a false Messiah movement. He believed more than most that the Messiah would indeed come. He zealously held to that conviction. He just didn't think that Jesus was the guy. He was waiting for somebody else. So Saul would later explain it like this to the Galatians. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. But on the road to Damascus, as, he was, as he'd gotten that, that order from the high priest and he was on his way to Damascus to find Christians, to put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem. On the road there, everything changed. Everything changed. We have to see here what made Saul, the zealous, proud persecutor, in a moment, making him into our, our second point for today, a conquered convert. A conquered convert. 
we saw in our, in our scripture reading in Acts 9, uh, actually verses 3 through 5, we saw the, the very one that the, the misfit group of Jews was claiming as the Messiah, right? This very one that this group was claiming reveals himself to Saul on the road to Damascus. Knocked him off his high horse, you might say. Did you see, did you see what I did there? There we go. Um, a great light shines from heaven and Saul hears a voice asking him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asks, who are you? The voice responds, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Saul would later testify before King Agrippa that a light brighter than the sun was shining around him at midday. Acts 26, verse 13. The sun was at its highest point at midday, right? We know that. We live in Florida, right? That's no shadow time, right? And the light of the, light of the sun, as long as, it's, as long as it's not cloudy, the light of the sun is unmatched, right? Um, but on this day, at midday, a light so bright shines that it blots out the sun. There's a voice only understood by Paul, though it's heard by the rest of his company, um, our point is here to say that Saul didn't just hear a voice in his head while traveling along. He, would have, he didn't just have a feeling in his heart. The Lord Jesus actually revealed himself from heaven. A light shone from heaven and a voice was heard as a noise by all others, but understood clearly by Saul. And it's here where Saul is forced to wrestle with something. That if Jesus is speaking to him from heaven then the testimony about Jesus is true. If the testimony of Jesus of Nazareth is true, then Jesus is the Messiah. And everything that the scriptures, the Old Testament said about this one, Jesus, then all of it's true. All of it's pointing to him. He's the king. Furthermore, Saul was actually fighting against the very God that he claimed to love and he claimed to serve. He is actually working against his plan and purposes. You see, Saul's on the wrong side. Saul is actually not faithful, but he's rebellious. He's not protecting God's honor and glory, but he's robbing God of glory and honor that are supposed to be revealed through Jesus Christ. Imagine the shock. How, how would you feel if this was you? All this that you've been fighting for, all this that you've been working so hard to protect, realizing now that it was all against the very God you claim to love and serve. How the, this proud Pharisee felt when he heard this persecution of this new sect was actually persecution against the Messiah himself. The result is clear. Saul had a change of heart and mind. His heart was transformed. His day of persecuting Jesus and those who had followed him to the had and those who followed him ended that day on the road to Damascus. No deliberation. It was over. He had met the Messiah. And if Jesus had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, there would be no more questions to be asked. If he was the anointed one, if he was the Messiah. So who is the Messiah? Let's talk about that, this, this term. What does that Messiah term mean? It means chosen one, anointed one. Right? When we see, when we talk about Jesus the Christ, this is actually the Greek translation of the word Messiah. It's the chosen one, the anointed one. Um, it was God's chosen one, the chosen leader, liberator, savior of God's people. So the messianic uh, hope that, that came to be embodied in this vision, the messianic hope came to be embodied in this vision of a leader being raised up within Israel who would throw down all of God's enemies and take back the throne of David. Then establishing this eternal kingdom 
where Israel would rule over the nations and God would be honored by all. Now, this is a bit simplistic, but in a nutshell, that is what we find in the Bible about this this title, Messiah. In addition, the Messiah would be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Uh, The Messiah would be the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. He'd be the seed of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He'd be the son of David who would establish an eternal kingdom. He would be the king who rules over all the earth and breaks the nations that fight against him with his rod of iron, Psalm 2. The Messiah would, would bring about the fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Daniel, and all the rest of the prophets. And now this Jesus of Nazareth has spoken to Saul from heaven. He has revealed that he is indeed the Messiah who, fill, who fulfills all these promises. And remember in Saul, you're talking about a Pharisee who had been working out of a certain worldview. That worldview included raising up of a Messiah who would, bring up, uh, who would bring about the kingdom of God that would be established forever. That would reconcile God and his people. And in his understanding, that would have happened all at once, all in one fell swoop. But now Saul has to deal with what's going on now that this Messiah has come and yet Rome is still ruling. The Messiah has come and nothing in Israel's current condition has changed. The Messiah has come and there's no new temple, no visible throne. All those promises that Saul knew better than most, by the way, now have to be filtered through this person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You want to understand Saul's letters? You can't do it until you understand this shift that happens on the road to Damascus. Saul becomes firmly convinced and convicted that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. And yet it's not over. The story's not finished. There's more to be done here. In Saul's own words to the church of Rome, we read this, Romans 1, starting with verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience of faith or obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among you whom, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. I simply want to point out that the gospel of God is nothing new. It's actually something very old that's being fulfilled. I'm not saying uh, that he understood completely all of this, um, but something changed on this day. He began to understand that all these things had been, had been fulfilled in Christ. Their implications, of, of course, would work out in his mind. The Lord would be, would be uh, instructing him in, in this. I mean, think about all the scripture he would have memorized as a God-fearing Jew. All of this would be, would be brought alive in the understanding that all of this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This experience that he has with Jesus this day, Christ, through this experience, begins that work in him. Amazing. Saul would later explain it this way to the Corinthians. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us, among you by us, by me, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it was yes. But in him it was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him. 2 Corinthians 1.19. So needless to say, this revelation would have rocked Saul to the core. It would have changed everything, but we need to consider what that means. In 
our scripture reading, we heard that Saul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and we heard about this from Acts 9. Jesus did not come knocking. He did not plead with Saul. He didn't invite, he didn't want Saul to invite him in. Saul, uh, as the enemy of God's people, met the conqueror, the Messiah, the king, the Lord on the road to Damascus. Saul had been charging toward Damascus to attack the the Messiah's people, but he was disarmed by God's grace on the way. The haughty, um, pompous, proud Saul was made low. The proud persecutor became the conquered convert, and Jesus was his conqueror. So what's the result? First, he was a slave of Christ. He was a slave of Christ. He bent his knee to the Lord Jesus. And from that day forward, Saul would willingly refer to himself as a slave of Christ. A bondservant of Christ. We've heard that already today in, our, in, our, in the scriptures that we've read. Even at the end of his life, Saul still understood that this, uh, that this was the case. And he charged this to his, uh, his disciple, Timothy. He says in, um, in 2 Timothy, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 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 Prisoner of who? Prisoner of Christ. Because Christ had conquered him. Uh, the ver- and that continues, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel, uh, for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, uh, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Saul didn't have room for any theology that didn't take into account the, the sovereignty of God and the effectiveness of of his calling in grace. Yes, he was freed from sin. He was freed from the slavery to sin, but he was freed to become a slave to righteousness in the name of Jesus Christ. He was a conquered convert. Another result that that would be that all Saul trusted in when he he left on that road to Damascus, all those things he left on the road to Damascus. Saul was stripped of all he used to boast in. Saul was stripped of all that he used to boast in. Consider Philippians 3, starting with verse 4. He said, If anyone thinks that they may have have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. That's a strong statement, right? But look what he goes on to say. Verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also, I count the loss of, I call all things loss for the excellence of the, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Philippians, two verse, uh, Philippians 3, 2 through 9. Saul strutted out of Jerusalem to Damascus, fully convinced that he was right with God because he had the right family, he had the right education, and he was very religious. And yet all of it mounted to nothing. He was led into Damascus by the hand, a blind and shattered man. Now he understood that the very best he could pre- present to God was rubbish. Something literally akin to a cow patty. He now understood that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. So listen to how Saul explained his conversion in Galatians 1. Galatians 1, 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Saul was set apart before he was born. He understood that. He was called by his grace. The Galatians knew in previous verses, we see that in verses 13 and 14, all about his life in Judaism, uh, how he persecuted and tried to destroy the church. Now he explains, but uh, you know how I was actually set apart from birth. God graciously revealed Christ to me and called me to himself when he saw fit, right on schedule, according to the plan that he had set in motion before I was born. That's how Saul understands his conversion. Saul brought nothing on the road to Damascus but pride and sin. And friend, isn't that how we, isn't that, have we experienced the same? That all we bring is pride and sin. But God's grace called him and us out of the dominion of darkness and transferred him into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Paul, Saul, was a conquered convert. Those are, he was a conquered convert whose soul was superbly satisfied in knowing Christ. And so it is with our conversion. As Saul explained it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is the God who commanded light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. You may not have heard, his, you may not have heard Jesus speaking from heaven, but you have heard his word. In Ephesians 2, Saul wrote this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. You see, Jesus is still conquering hard hearts. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Now we understand better how Saul went from being a proud persecutor to a conquered convert who saw no choice but to be, number three, a messenger of of the Messiah, a messenger of the Messiah. Like that alliteration, right? You, uh, you, if you look back at the notes, you'll see it. Uh, proud persecutor, conquered convert, messenger of the Messiah. You can thank Pastor Cody for that. Just like our scripture said, uh, our scripture reading said back in Acts 9, Saul immediately, immediately began to proclaim Jesus. He had been a zealous Jew who'd been convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and the only way to be saved. So he proclaimed Jesus as such. That's the result. The gospel of Jesus was spread through the known world. Just as Jesus had commanded him, Saul immediately began to to preach the gospel of God, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that all who repent of their sin and trust in him will be saved. That's what we see throughout the rest of Acts. Luke records how Saul, who became more widely known by his Greek name, Paul, went throughout throughout most of the Roman Empire preaching Jesus as the Messiah. How everyone everywhere should turn to Jesus and trust in him. If you start in Acts 13 and go really go through the rest of the book, just circling how every time where you see the, these phrases like the gospel of God, gospel of Jesus, the word proclaimed or declared, it's exhausting. It's everywhere. Uh, the great philosopher Ron Swanson once said, I know what I'm about, son. Well, if you look at the rest of this book of Acts, you can see very clearly that, that uh, Jesus had made it very clear to Paul what his life was about. His life was about proclaiming Jesus, 
as the Messiah. Let's check out an example of that in our context, in our, with, uh, with the, the city of Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians. Acts 17 verse 1 says this, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, ha ha, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul, uh, then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. And for, um, for three Sabbaths, three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He would go into the, the synagogue first because that would have been the easiest place to start, right? Um, but it would expand from there. So this was his message, right? This is what he was saying in every city. These things are necessary because they were promised beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures. And now they have come to pass in Christ. Verse 4 says this, And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, and gathering in a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the other brethren out to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. What was it that disturbed the people? They were claiming that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and, they were tur- and, and that they were turning the whole world upside down with this message. It's easy to see why Paul was fully convinced that faith comes by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, a conquered convert, was commanded to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And, and I want you to see this. Not just to people like him, right? In each town, he would go to the synagogue first, but his aim was to get to who? The, the Gentiles. People not like him. People that were, Gentiles really by definition were not Jews. This would have been something he would have been adamantly against as a Pharisee. People outside of his own culture, people outside of his own race, Paul, and of course, Paul saw races and cultures all around him, and so do we. They are there. We can't, we can't say that we're blind to them. But God in his grace led Paul to recategorize all of this going on around him into truly two groups. People who were trusting in Jesus and people who were not trusting in Jesus. And he worked. He worked hard to navigate these cultures and these, different, different, these differences between these, all these different people groups that he's moving around. And he's doing so because, and hear me, church, this has to be the priority. He did all of this, navigating these different cultures because God has put a passion in his heart, a burning passion in his heart to see those who didn't, who were not trusting in Jesus to know Jesus and to trust in him. For those who were trusting in Jesus to be made more like him and to join him in this great commission that Christ had enlisted them to, Right? This great commission of Christ to make disciples of all people groups, not just all nations, but all people groups. It means we must navigate these cultures. We must navigate these different races because the gospel has the priority. 
That's what we're after. That's what Paul was after. He was sent forth to proclaim this message to the world. And as he did so, he did so fully convinced that the same power and authority that had arrested him on the road to Damascus would go forth with the same authority and power to arrest others. Just like Paul told the church at Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everyone. To Romans, 7, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. And he told the Corinthians in Corinthians 1.18, he says, for the, this message of the cross is foolishness. Everyone looks at it as foolishness, but to those who, are, those who are perishing, of course they see it this way. But look what he says, continuing the verse, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. To the rest of the world, it's foolishness, and let them think so. But to us who are being saved, and for those who are saved in the proclamation of this message, it is the power of God. That's why Paul decided that in the midst of a city like Corinth that had all these different teachers, all these different messages that we've talked about before, that's, that's why Paul decided to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. That's why he told the Colossians, him, Jesus, we proclaim. Colossians 1.28. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves and sanctifies. It's the word of Christ that has brought dead men and women and children to life for 2,000 years. Do we believe that? Church family, do we believe that? It's not our ability to outreason and outwit others. It's the simple proclamation of this message that Jesus is the Christ, that he actually fulfilled all that God promised in the Old Testament, that he is who he said he is. This is the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He came and fulfilled all of God's law. He willingly laid down his life for us, taking our place, taking upon himself the wrath of God. God accepted his sacrifice, proved it by raising him from the dead on the third day that we might be justified in him and that now he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he reigns even now with all authority and power to this day. He is conquering sinful, hard hearts and stiff necks with his word. So if we share these convictions with the Apostle Paul, with our brother Paul, then we will proclaim this word. We will proclaim this word of Christ with the same confidence. That weak as we are, and as foolish as our message seems, Christ is conquering hard hearts through it. And as we study 1 Thessalonians together, let's keep in mind what brought Paul from being a proud persecutor to a conquered convert to a, mes to a messenger of the Messiah. Paul had been conquered by the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ. And therefore he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And faith comes by hearing this gospel. Let's do the same. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is good. And Lord, thank you for uh, your testimony in this man named, named Saul. The proud persecutor whom you made into the, the conquered convert and the messenger of the Messiah. Father, I pray that those who don't know Jesus, who are not trusting in Jesus, that they would do so today. And Lord, those of us that are trusting in Christ, that you would continue to make us more like your beloved son. And that, that in that, the more that we resemble Christ, the more that we prioritize what he prioritized, 
that we would preach toward everyone, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would make disciples who make disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth, to the end of time. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been my honor and privilege to be able to study God's word with you today. And I pray that you have a wonderful Lord's Day and that we will, and that you'll have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. God bless.